Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I don't know if you got the memo or not, but uh, I'm the best dad ever. Sorry, all the rest of you dads. I don't know what to tell you, but I got the t-shirt, so I guess I'm the winner. No, at least four people think this, uh, maybe five. Honey, do you think that I'm the best dad? Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> as she's sitting next to her dad, she's like, I don't, I don't blame her. He's better than me, for sure, for sure. So um, happy Father's Day to you. So we've been um, in, a, in a series uh, just talking about the Fab Five. And what is the Fab Five? Well, we think that Jesus gave us, and he taught these all throughout his time here on earth. And there wasn't enough pages to write down uh, all the different times that he taught uh, these different, what we call commandments, these, these five fabulous commandments. And Jesus would, would, would say, if you get these five things, you're doing really well. If you can just follow these five things, if you can live out these five things, man, you're, you, you get it. Like, and you're going to experience God in a way that you've never experienced him before. And so week number one, we just opened up with the why. Why should we, uh, why should we listen to him? Why should we listen to Jesus? Well, we should listen to Jesus because he has all the authority. The, you know, he says, I have all the authority in heaven and earth. We should listen to Jesus because he predicted his death. He predicted that he would be buried. And then he also predicted that he would rise from the grave. And he did. He pulled those things off. So before that even happened, he said, this is what's going to happen. And he did. So anybody that can predict their own death and their own resurrection, he should be somebody that we listen to. Don't you think? And so that's why. So why do we listen to him? Well, here's the way that we describe it of why we should listen to Jesus. And, and uh, if you believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this, uh, this is enough for you. This should be enough for us to listen to what Jesus tells us to do. But we believe, so we put it in these words, that we believe that life is better following Jesus. We believe that when you do these things, when you live out his words, his commands, what he wants us to do, we believe that life is just better following Jesus and following Jesus makes you better at life. That's what we believe. And so week two, which is fab five, number one, Juan talked about how Jesus tells us that we should sin no more, sin no more, sin no more. And you say, how do we, how do we have the ability to sin no more? Well, Jesus gives us the ability to sin no more because we know that when we don't sin, that life is just better and it makes our life better, makes us better at life. And so Juan talked about how sin is the destruction of all things and, and you've lived long enough and to know that that's probably true. It is true, you know that to be true. Fab five, number two, we talked about worry no more, worry no more. Fab five, number three, we talked about forgive every time. So these are three of the five commandments that we think that Jesus taught on a regular basis. And, and as you're, if you haven't been tracking with us, uh, you're probably thinking, this is impossible. This is impossible. And Jesus would talk about that. He said, yeah, with man, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And what was deemed as impossible to think that Jesus hanging on a cross, buried in a tomb, and then on day three, rise out of that tomb, what was deemed as impossible, the possible happened. And so Jesus believes about you 
that you can sin no more, you can worry no more, and you can forgive regardless of how badly you've been hurt, how badly you've been wronged, how badly you've been mistreated, that you can forgive every time. Every time. Now, this one is uh, another one that we, we're gonna go, oh, I don't think so. I, this one's like worry. It's like worry's cousin. You know, it just sort of sneaks up on you. It happens to us and we don't really know how to avoid it. You know, how to misstep. We don't really know. But these were things that the disciples were tempted not to do as well. And I, this, is, this one is, you're also gonna be tempted not to want to try. But I'm gonna encourage you to try and to see what God can do. So in order for, before we set this, this next one up, uh, in order for me to set this next one up, I'm gonna describe to you what happened to, uh, to us this week. Um, my son, uh, my wife and my son were on a play date. They went to a park and I get a call from my wife saying, um, I'm going to Huron Valley emergency, meet me there. And uh, now this is not unheard of with this, our youngest son, because our other kids, we never made a trip. We never had to go to, uh, to the ER. With, with him, this is now our third trip uh, to the ER with him. So it wasn't like I was a huge surprise. And so we get to the, I get to the ER, my wife is there. She's got a, a, you know, something like a rag or a towel behind his head uh, where he slipped off the monkey bars, fell back onto the corner of a platform and, and cut his head open. And so they're in the, we're in the ER room. Sorry for being graphic if I am. Uh, so we're in the ER room and the doctor comes in and takes a look at it. And, and this guy was like fantastic. He was great. He was like, okay, this is what's going on. We don't think that he has a concussion. We think that this is what we need to do. And, and somewhere in that conversation, I don't remember exactly how he went about doing it, but he was able to communicate with Katie and I what he had to do without my five-year-old hearing what had to be done to him. And so she was, so we were really impressed by this because he was able to inform us that they had to put um, not a stitch, you know, but a staple in his head. And so we're like, oh, wow, he really did a great job with that. Not two minutes later, another doctor came in, a woman doctor who you thought that she would have been able to handle it a little bit better. She comes in, she recaps everything that the doctor just told us. I'm actually standing there thinking to myself, why is she telling us exactly what he just told us two minutes ago? But she wasn't as incognito about it. She starts telling us how they gotta put a staple in the back of his head because he's got a gash in the back of his head. She leaves the room, by the way, before she leaves the room, she says, you know, we're going to wait 15, 20 minutes before we do this. So she leaves the room and he goes, we got to put a staple in my head. <laughs> and he's now processing in his brain that there's a staple that's got to go in the back of his head. And he's now thinking about what, and he's now afraid. He's now has fear has overcome. The first doctor, he was just like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe they'll let me out of here soon. But, and we're like, this is the good thing. We can just sneak up from behind him, put a staple in the back of his head and get out of here. Like, but the next doctor came in and ruined the whole thing. So for 15, it probably took longer than that. Another 30 minutes 
I'm trying to calm him down. I'm trying to say, listen, it's not that bad. And I'm doing like little pinches on him. Like it's probably going to feel like this. He's like, is it going to feel like that? And he doesn't believe me. You know, he's like, it doesn't matter how hard I pinch him. He's like, I can tolerate that. But I don't think it's going to feel that way because I know how a staple works, you know. And, and it's just for, the, for 30 minutes, we're trying to like calm his fears, calm his fears. And then the doctor comes in with the staple gun, you know, and, you know, waving it around, like, would you knock it off? Like, where's the other guy? He was great, you know. They come in with a staple gun, you know, and he's just like scared beyond belief. And I'm just telling him, listen, 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 son, son, listen, do not be afraid. It's going to be okay. Do not be afraid. And this is the exact statement that Jesus gave to his disciples and anyone who gathered around to listen to him. And the exact statement that I'm telling you based on what Jesus told, tells us in his word. And that is these words, listen, do not be afraid. Even when there's something to be afraid of. Now, did he have every reason to be afraid? Sure. Do you have circumstances and situations in your life that you have every reason to be afraid? Sure. And Jesus knew this too. Jesus said, yes, 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 yes. I know that there are circumstances and situations in life that would cause you to be afraid. That fear rises up. And, and sort of the best way to describe fear is this. That fear is a set of responses to a known, precise, well-defined threat which can be real or vividly imagined. And we all experience this, right? We all experience this when we hear news about, you know, maybe a, 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 a situation of health situation or, or you get a, something in the mail that tells you that you owe this amount of money or, you know, you get a phone call from somebody or a text message from somebody that, that automatically sort of responses, you respond to that known information, that well-defined threat to something and fear rises up. And, and, and you would say, well, I have every reason to be afraid of this thing. I have every reason to be afraid of that circumstance. I have every reason to be afraid of this situation. And Jesus would say, yeah, you have every reason to be afraid, but I'm telling you, do not be afraid. Even when there's something to fear. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Jesus sent his disciples out into the sea and Jesus would commonly put the disciples into a boat to teach them these lessons, you know. And he put his disciples out onto the sea, onto the boat. And uh, the boat, the Bible tells us that the boat was a long distance off. It says the boat was already a long distance off from the land and it was battered by the waves for the winds were contrary. And so you can kind of imagine and sort of put our situation, our story in this story where, you know, you're out in, the, out in life, you know, and you feel just like life is just battering at you, you know. You feel the waves overtaking you. You feel like you're in over your head. You're underwater, you know. You're, you're sort of just trying to grasp and trying to get gather yourself and trying to make sense of whatever situation or circumstance comes your way. 
And this is how they felt, you know? They were just sort of rowing and rowing and rowing and not getting anywhere. Do you ever feel that about that in life, you know? You're kind of trying to plug away in life, row in life, and you just not seem to making any, you know, making up any ground. You're not, you don't seem to be getting anywhere. This is what's happening to them. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the, of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, this was unusual, don't you think? Like, like here they're out, out on the water by themselves. Jesus has gone off to pray in a mountain. That's where they think that he is. They're now by themselves. They're all alone. And sometimes, Christian, don't you feel that? Don't you feel like God has sort of just sort of left you alone? He's sort of just forgotten about your circumstance. He's, you feel like you've been sort of just put on a shelf a little bit. And, you know, you're wondering where is God and all of this, you know, and that's how they felt. They were by themselves out on the water, treading away, you know, oaring away, not getting anywhere, being battered, waves overcoming, just this is how they felt. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the sea. Like the thing that they were afraid of, the waves, the waves that were pouring over the boat, the thing that they were looking at going, this is gonna destroy me. Jesus was using it as an elliptical. Jesus was like going for a stroll, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified because they've never seen a man walking on water. Like, so this was a new thing that their brain is trying to process, right? They're like, this guy is on a stroll, walking on the water, and they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost. Like, they literally thought it was a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But then, verse 27, but immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So fab five, number four is simply this. Like I said, do not be afraid. Even when there's something to be afraid of. So what do we do with that? How do we not be afraid even when there's something legitimate to be afraid of? How do we not be afraid? Well, look what it says back in uh, verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So what Jesus told the disciples and what he's telling us is, is simply this. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. You know what comes up on us when there's something to be afraid of? Fear. Fear. And that's something that we can't control. It's something that just happens to us when there's something that threatens us that we, we fear, we become afraid. And Jesus said, in that moment, in that moment, what isn't gonna come up on you is courage. That's not what's gonna come up. And so in that moment, you need to, and I need to, in that time where you feel, feel fear rising up, where you feel afraid, he says, in that moment, he says this, listen, take courage. 
Courage isn't gonna come naturally to you. You and I need to take courage. You and I need to grab a hold of courage. That's what you and I need to do. I was trying to, I don't know, knowing that I was gonna teach this and trying to teach my kids this concept, my kids wanted to go, uh, some t- point this week, they wanted to go swimming. And we have two neighbors across the street. They both have swimming pools. And so I said, well, if you guys wanna go swimming, you need to go across the street and you need to ask Miss Reba if you can swim in her pool. And I, remember, I think my oldest son was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna go over there and ask Miss Reba, if I can go swim in her pool. But my girls, they really wanted to swim. Like they were just dying to swim. I said, if you want to swim, I'm not going to go over there and ask. You need to go over there and ask yourself. And they're just like, okay, okay. And they're trying to like pump each other up. They're like, all right, let's go, let's go. And so they, they walk across the street and they're knocking on the door. And, and I'm kind of like, you know, watching them a little bit from the distance. And, and, and they're like both trying to like stay in front of the door, just anticipating the door to open. Well, she never came to the door. And so they're like, oh. so they came back and they said, Miss Reba's not home. Can we go and ask Miss Carol? I said, yeah, go and ask Miss Carol. They're like, okay, okay. So they got up the, they had to get up the courage again. And so they went up to the door, knocked on the door. Miss Carol came to the door and one of my daughters l- l- ran away. <laughs> Sarah's like, Miss Carol, can we? Can we go swimming? And Miss Carol goes, yeah, of course you can. You guys can come swimming anytime. And I'm telling you, my Sarah came back and she was like. (laughs) And she came back and she goes, she goes, Hannah, what do you what do you have to say to me? Nathan, what do you have to say to me? And I'm like, what do you want them to say to you? I want them to say thank you. Because I had the courage to ask permission. You know what she had to do in that moment? She wanted to go swimming so bad. If she wanted to go swimming so bad, she had to take courage. Oh, everything inside of her, everything inside of them told them, I don't want to. I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask. I don't want to ask. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be told no. I don't want to be, you know, whatever it was they were imagining in their mind. But what they had to do was simply take the courage to do it. This happened yesterday. We, we went, I don't know why we're weird. We went grad sailing. I don't know if you go grad sailing, but we took our kids grad sailing. So we went around to different grad sales and they, they wanted certain things. And I, and, and I never want to pay the, the price that they ask for. I don't know if, if you like those people or not, but that's me. And so I said, well, if you want that, you need to ask for this amount. And I remember one of my youngest son, Andrew, the one with the staple in his head, um, <laughs> We, he wanted a, a Nerf gun, a Nerf gun, and it, it, it had like $2 on there. I said, how much do you have in your pocket? He goes, he pulls out two quarters, because that was the change that he had from, from another thing that he bought at another garage sale. He's, he pulls out two quarters. I said, if you want that gun, you got to walk up to that man, and you need to offer your two quarters. And he's like, okay. So he pulls out those two quarters. And he just throws them at the guy. 
and runs away with the gun. I said, is that okay? As a dad, I'm like, is that okay? The guy's like, yeah, it's fine. No big deal. You know? And they had to, that was, his, that was his best ability to take courage. He almost stole something, but I wasn't going to let that happen. But that was his best ability to take courage. Listen, when it comes to things that, yeah, you should be afraid of, Jesus is saying to you and to me, listen, take courage. Courage. Take it. Yeah, what's naturally going to be is you're going to be afraid and fearful. and You're going you're to walk away and you're going to miss out on going swimming or a Nerf gun. But God has something more important that he doesn't want you to miss out on. And that is to experience him. To experience and to see him in your life. To watch him transform things. To change things forever. That's what he wants you to experience. But if you are going to experience some amazing things, here's what you need to do. Take it. Courage. I love this verse. I've used it already in this series, John 16, but it says what I, wanted, what I was hoping it would say. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have things that you're going to be afraid of. You're, there's going to be things that you're going to fear. But take courage. Why should we take courage, Jesus says? He says, for I have overcome the world. You know why you should take courage? Because we put our faith and our trust in a God who has overcome the world. I love this. Overcome is, is this word right there. Don't you love that word? It's that Greek word right there. That Greek word is, is also written this way. Maybe you might recognize this word. Nike. As a matter of fact, that's where Nike got their name. From that Greek word, overcome or victory. Victory. So when Jesus said, hey, you know what? You know why you should take courage? Because I have victory over the world. And when you put your faith in me, you already have the victory. There is nothing for you to lose on when you take courage in me. And just like Nike tells us that we should just do it, so should you. So when you feel fear rise up, and you hear the voice of Jesus going, take courage. You know what he's saying? Just do it. Just do it. I, I thought that was good. I don't know about you. I like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, thanks. Hey. Just do it. And you'll experience something you've never experienced before. You know that phrase, where that phrase came from? It's kind of a weird uh, way that this originated from. So some guy back in the late 70s was um, um, getting ready to be executed. I know this is, sounds weird, but there's a guy, criminal, uh, that went on a killing spree, getting ready to be executed. Somebody said to him, do you have any last words? And his last words were, just do it. 
And Nike goes, that's what we want to be. We want to be people that just say, just do it. Just do it. Take courage. Take courage. Now, that's the first thing we should do. Take courage. Jesus then tells us this, and he says, what, the way that he reminds us. Oh, by the way, let me, let me just tell you how you have victory. John wrote, writes this in 1 John 5, verse 4. What, who, and whoever, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. So overcomes Nike, victory, Nike. That has overcome Nike, the world. It, what is that? It is our faith. So what gives us victory what gives us the ability to take courage is our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? It says in verse five, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, that Jesus is the son of God, then you are walking in Nike. You are the one who has overcome the world. Just like Jesus said. So that's why he says, listen, you overcome the world. So take courage. Just do it. Just do it. Another time the disciples were out on the boat, on a boat. This was a, a different time. The storm happened. Waves are coming in, battering the boat. Just a, just a difficult circumstance for the disciples. And Mark who got his um, information from Peter. So when Mark wrote the gospel of, uh, of Jesus, he, got, he was, had a conversation, multiple conversations probably, with Peter. And when he's describing, so Peter is describing what happened to him the day when Jesus calmed the storm. You remember that story? When they're all, on the, Jesus is actually on the boat with them and Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat and, and the storm is coming in, the waves are crashing, the disciples are now afraid because they have something to be afraid of and they're afraid and Jesus, they, somebody wakes up you know, Jesus and he comes up to the, to the top of the boat and and he stares at the, at the wind and the waves and he says, hush, be still. And then after that, as Peter's describing this circumstance, because Peter was there, as Peter's describing the circumstance to Mark and Mark is writing it down, it says, Mark says this, and he said to them, why are you afraid? Well, they would have said back to him, because... There's something to be afraid of because the winds are coming and the waves are coming and they're crashing. He says, do you still have no faith? Because here's the reality. When it comes to our fears, faith and fear cannot coexist together. It doesn't work. You can't have fear and have faith. And that's what Jesus knew. He says, why are you afraid? Because you've allowed your fear, you allow the thing that you should be afraid of to overtake your faith in me. And according to your faith, your faith is what gives you victory over the world. So why are you afraid? You already have victory. What are you afraid of? And then Peter tells Mark, I want you to write down our response after Jesus said this to us. And Peter tells Mark, I want you to describe it this way. 
And it says in verse 41, and then it says this. He says, he says, Mark, write it this way. They became, or he could have said, we became very much afraid. Now, you know what Peter was telling Mark as he wrote this down? Peter was telling Mark this. Even though we were so afraid of the waves and the wind that we thought that we were going to die on that boat, when Jesus came and he hushed the waves and the winds, we became very much afraid. In other words, we became more afraid after he did that. We became more afraid. You say, more afraid of what? Of him. Of him. They became more afraid of him. And that's what they say. They said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There was more fear that rose up. Now, it wasn't a fear that we have when it comes to circumstances that we experience. You know what it was? Here's what, here's what Jesus was trying to teach them. And here's what they learned that day in that boat. They learned that they had to transfer their fear to revere. Does that make sense? They had to transfer their fear of something into revering someone. And your fear and mine needs to be shifted, needs to be adjusted, needs to transfer to the one who deserves not our fear, but our reverence. Our reverence. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus says it this way to them in Luke 12. He says, I know, that, I know that you have things that you fear, but I want you to transfer your fear to revere who I am. So he says in Luke chapter 12, it write, Luke's writing this down. He says this, Jesus said this, I say to you, my friends, here it is again, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. You say, man, that sounds like a, <laughs> I mean, I'm not supposed to be afraid of dying. And Jesus would say, no, you're not supposed to be afraid of dying because I conquered death in the grave. And when, because I conquered death in the grave, those who are born into God also conquer death and the grave. Amen. And he says, I don't, you don't need to be afraid of what anyone can do to your body. But verse five, he says, but I warn you, who, I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. He says in verse six, are not five sparrows sold for, for two cents? Are yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Verse seven, he says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. 
And, and, and Jesus is the way that he's describing us. He says, listen, you don't need to fear man. You don't need to fear circumstances. Where you should transfer your fear is you should transfer your fear to revere God. To revere God. Because he's the one that determines where you spend eternity. He says, but listen, he's not a God that is, that is going to come. He's, he's the kind of God who is a perfect, loving, heavenly father. And the way that he looks at you is that he says that you are more valuable than even the sparrows. And Jesus is so in tune to all of us. He's so in tune of the things that you fear the things that you worry about, the things that are concerning to you. He is so in tune. He's even aware of the bird specials. He says, listen, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? You know what Matthew wrote when Matthew wrote the same account? Here's what Matthew wrote in Matthew 10, uh, 29. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Jesus knew the bird deals. No, I tried. You guys are trying to. He knew. He's like, five sparrows are sold for two cents, but are not two sparrows sold for a cent? You can get an extra sparrow for another cent. What a bargain, right? I'm doing too much garage sailing, I think. <laughs> he says, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He says, I want you to know something. You don't need to fear the thing that, yeah, even though a fear rises up, you need to transfer that fear to your heavenly Father who determines where you spend eternity. And another way to put it is this. Jesus would say, friends, friends, he would call us friends. Friends, do not be afraid. You're not forgotten. Yeah, the times where you're afraid and you think that God is a distant from you. Yeah, the times that your fear rises up and you think that God is not attentive. You think that God has put you on a shelf. You're going through something and you think, where is God in this time that I'm going through it? And here's what God is saying to you right now. Hey, friend, do not be afraid. You are not forgotten. Just as much as your perfect heavenly father knows the deals of birds, he knows your deal. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstance. Church, listen, you're not forgotten. You're friends with a perfect, loving heavenly father that just wants you to transfer your fear to revere of him. You know, the disciples, you know, all of them except for one ran after Jesus was arrested, except for one. One disciple stayed around. One disciple mustered enough courage that he took courage. He mustered enough courage to stay at the foot of the cross. 
And because of that, when Jesus, one of the few things that Jesus said on the cross, because of that, Jesus spoke down to his, his disciple John and said to John, John, behold my mother Mary. In other words, John, I want you to take care of my mother. I want you to take care of my mother. And what we know about John as a disciple of Jesus, we know this, that we know that John was a fisherman who began to follow Jesus in his life. We know that he went by a nickname along with his brother, that he was known as John, the son of thunder. What a nickname, huh? Sounds like a wrestler. John, the son of thunder. He also went by the name Beloved. And the reason why he went by the name Beloved, because John would write about himself in the Gospel of John. You know what he would say about himself? The one whom Jesus loved. What a description of yourself. The one whom Jesus loved. Did you know that John also was the only disciple who died of natural causes? All the other disciples were martyred for what they believed, but not John. And it wasn't for a lack of trying either. Somewhere around 70 or 80 AD, just a few years after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, John was taken by one of the emperors, Domitian. John was taken to the Colosseum And there at the Colosseum, they made sport out of killing Christians. And John was one of the last survivors. And they decided they were going to put a vat out in the middle of the Colosseum, a vat filled with boiling oil. And they were going to drop John's body into a vat of boiling oil. And according to writings and according to traditions, Miraculously, John, when he was dropped in the vat of boiling oil, survived and never recanted his faith. And all the while, as John was being dropped in that oil, thinking that this was his last few words, John took courage and continued to proclaim Jesus. The crowds are beginning to notice that John is not dead yet, nor is he going to die. He's still proclaiming Jesus. They decide he's not dying today for some reason. They take John out of the vat of boiling oil, and they decide that we're just going to poison him to get this over with. They force John to drink poison, either that or recant his faith. But instead, John decides, I'm going to take courage. And John takes down the poison and survives again. Finally, he had enough. This guy ain't dying, nor, this is important, nor is he afraid to die. Oh, he was willing, and he was still preaching Jesus, but he wasn't afraid of death. And so the emperor decides, we're just going to exile this guy out to an island called Patmos. And so they take John, and John's now, you know, in his 70s or 80s at this point, and they exile him out to an island called Patmos, where he spent the rest of his life cutting rock. 
But when John was out there on this secluded, all-rock island at somewhere around the age of 90, he gets a vision. He gets a vision. And in that vision, we have a book of the Bible called Revelation. He gets a revelation. And what he sees is this. He hears, he hears the voice that is maybe familiar to him or a voice that he recognizes. And he hears this voice and he turns to see this voice and he sees this image. And he sees Jesus. But it's not in the same way that he saw Jesus on earth. It's not the same image that he saw Jesus when he laid his head on his chest while they were having the last supper together before Jesus was arrested. It was a different image of Jesus. It was an image of Jesus that he saw where he was fully clothed in robe. It was an image that he saw that his feet were shining bright like bronze on fire. His, there was fire. His eyes, it says that his eyes were like fire. It says that his face radiated like the sun in all of its strength. It says that his hair was white as snow, white as, as, as the whitest of snow that could be. He says that's what he looked like. He says that out of his mouth, he describes it, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. He says his voice was like the voice of mighty waters. And John's response was that he fell down. It says that he fell down like a dead man. When I, fell, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. John, I know your whole life you had reason to be afraid, but you decided to take courage in those times where fear was rising up. John, in your life, you understand something that everybody needs to understand, and that is to transfer your fear to revere the one who decides and determines where you spend eternal life. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. And then he says this, I am the first and the last. John, I just wanted to remind you, the reason why you don't need to be afraid is because I'm the first and the last. Before you were, I was. Before anyone was, I was. And when everybody's gone, I'm gonna still be. When everybody goes, I'm gonna still be around. I'm the first and I'm the last. He says this. He says, I am, do we have the rest of that verse? And the living one. I was dead, behold, I am alive forevermore. You know why you don't need to be afraid, John? because I'm the living one. The reason why you don't need to be afraid to die is because I'm the one who was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And you now become an overcomer, John. You now take in the victory of what I have done. You don't need to be afraid of death anymore. The only one you need to fear is me. And that's why John said, you know what, I'm not afraid of anything. Because the one that has my back, the one that's on my side, 
is the first and the last. The one that has my back, the one that is on my side is the one who is alive forevermore. The reason why I don't need to be afraid of anything, even though there's something that looks like I should be afraid of it, I'm not gonna be afraid of it anymore. Why? Because the one who has my back is holding the keys of death and of Hades. He's the one that has my back. The one that has our back is the one where there is swords coming out of his mouth. His his voice is like roaring waters. He is shining bright in all of his glory. He's the one that has your back. Do not be afraid. What do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to be afraid of? The one that calms the sea, he's got our back. The one that raises the dead to life again, he's got our back. The one who heals and restores, he has our back. The one who makes all things new again, even when things look bad, he has our back. When God is for you, who can be against you? The only one you should fear is him. The only thing you should fear is him, period, period. Father, we're so grateful that we could come to you. We're so grateful that you open up yourself for us to experience peace and comfort even in the midst of things that we should be afraid of, fearful of. You tell us that in those moments that we just should take courage, take courage, take courage, just do it because you're our overcomer. You're the one that brings victory. And we have victory in our life through our faith and faith and fear cannot coexist together. So instead of fearing something, we're just gonna fear you and we're gonna put all that fear, that reverence into you because you deserve it, you earned it and all the glory and honor belongs to you anyways. And so that's where we're gonna place our fear and place it in you. Knowing that you're gonna still tell us, you're gonna put your right hand on us and tell us that we need to fear not. We don't need to be afraid anymore because you the first and the last. You, the one who conquered the grave. You, the one who holds the keys of death and hell are the ones who are with us always. And you never leave us. And you never forsake us. We thank you for that. Thank you for that. I pray that that gives all of us the courage to live our lives fearless, fearless of whatever comes our way knowing that you call us friends and you haven't forgotten us thank you for that love in Jesus name amen so I'm going to ask the uh, the guy, the, the team of youth that are going on the missions trip to come on up, come on up guys those of you that are going to Chicago leaving tomorrow morning going to the dream center 
boy, didn't they, the, the spoken word, that was like my sermon. That was way better. That was phenomenal. Come on all the way, come on now all the way down, guys. Come on all the way, scoot all the way down, will you? Scoot all the way down. Yeah, Juan, come on up. Um, so you know what? Let's just kind of huddle. Let's get into a huddle. How about that? Don't they look beautiful, everybody? Don't they look just amazing? They're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so come on up, huddle in, huddle in like you, you guys are supposed to love each other, right? Let Juan in, will you? Let Juan in there. Let Juan in. Let him in there. Let him in there. All right. Father, just, uh, just uh, so, so excited for them. And Lord, it's, these are life-changing things that happen uh, for each one of them personally and individually. And I'm just excited what you're going to do in their heart. More importantly, I'm excited to see how, uh, to hear the reports of how they're going to be used by you to love others. God, you've commanded us. You've given us one command. That is to love, love others the way that you loved us. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to love people that the way, same way that you loved us. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you just use their efforts, their energy, keep them together, bonded together with the understanding that it's, it's just not about them. It's about what you want to do through in and through them for the sake of others. Father, just use them in a mighty, powerful way. But yet I pray, God, again, that they come back and their hearts and their lives are changed forever because of what you've done and how you used them so mightily. I pray, Lord, that you keep them fearless. You keep them understanding that their boldness and their courage comes from you. And at a time where they feel afraid, I pray, Lord, that they just take hold of that courage. Take hold of that courage. And they respect you with a, a reverence and an awe that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome.